What do you think our souls owe to ancient myths? Well, the ancient myths were designed to put the mind, the mental system, into accord with this body system, with this inheritance of the body, to harmonize. The mind can ramble off in strange ways and want things that the body does not want. And uh, the myths and rites were means to put the mind in accord with the body and the way of life in accord with the way that nature dictates. So in a way, these old stories live in us. They do indeed. And uh, the uh, That's good. stages of a human development are the same today as they were in the ancient times. And the problem of a child brought up in a world of uh, discipline, of obedience, and of his dependency on others has to be transcended when one comes to maturity so that you are living now not in dependency but with self-responsible authority. And the problem of the transition from childhood to maturity and then from maturity and full capacity to losing those powers and acquiescing in the natural course of, uh, you might say, the autumn time of life and the passage away. Myths are there to help us mm -hmm. go with it, accept nature's way and not hold to something else. The stories are sort of, to me, like messages in a bottle from shores someone else has visited first. Yes, and you're visiting those shores now. And these myths tell me how others have made the passage and how I can make the path. And, and also what the beauties are of the way. Uh, I feel this now moving into my own last years, you know. The, the myths help me to go with it. What kind of myth? Give me a, a one that has actually helped you. Well, the uh, tradition in India, for instance, of actually changing your whole way of dress uh, even changing your name as you pass from one stage to another. Uh, when I um, retired from teaching, I, I knew that I had to create a new life, a new way of life, and uh, I changed my manner of, uh, of thinking about my life, just in terms of that uh, notion of moving out of the sphere of achievement into the sphere of enjoyment and appreciation and uh, re relaxing into the wonder of it all. And then there is that final passage through the dark gate. That, well, that's no problem at all. The problem in middle life, when the body has reached its climax of power and begins to lose it, is to identify yourself not with the body which is falling away, but with the consciousness of which it is a vehicle. And when you can do that, and this is something I learned from my myths, what am I? Am I the, uh, the bulb that carries the light, or am I the light of which the bulb is a vehicle? That's good. And this body mm. is a vehicle of consciousness. And if you can identify with the consciousness, you can watch this thing go like an old car. There goes the fender, there goes this. But it's expectable, you know? And then gradually, the whole thing drops off and consciousness rejoins consciousness. I mean, that's, it's no longer in this particular environment. And the myths, the stories have 
have brought this consciousness. Well, I live with these myths, and they tell me to do this all the time. And uh, this is the problem, which can be then metaphorically understood as identifying with the Christ in you. And uh, the Christ in you doesn't die. The Christ in you survives death and resurrects. Or it can be with Shiva, Shiva Han, I am Shiva. And this is the great meditation of the, of the, the yogis in the Himalayas. And uh, one doesn't have even to have a metaphorical image like that if one uh, has a mind that's willing to just relax and uh, identify itself with that which moves it. Damn. <laughs> Let's go with the flow. That's what he's saying, man. Yeah, there's a lot in there, hey? Wow. He, he touches on a whole bunch of stuff. But yeah, he's uh, he's a he's a cool cat, man. I really love Joseph Campbell. I've read lots of his books. And uh, The Power of Myth, which is like uh, that video came from like a longer uh, series of interviews he did with Bill Moyer. Like, man, you know, like how people read the Bible, like, you know, <laughs> Christians are like, you know, I read the Bible every year. I try to watch that series every year because it's like it, it is a Bible in and of itself, man. Yeah, that's pretty powerful, man. He, and that was like uh, four minutes and 30 seconds. He pretty much explained it all. <laughs> yeah, it seemed to hit on all the like really major points, right? Like transitions in life, like harmonizing mind and body, which I think we were talking about last time, that whole mind-body-spirit balance that, that you mm -hmm. and I really strive to achieve in our lives. And uh, yeah, he hit on a whole bunch of stuff. So great idea, starting, uh, starting us off with that, man. Mm -hmm. They're all just different myths and metaphors for the same idea of not identifying like you said, with the bulb, but identifying with the light that is uh, a vehicle. Sorry, no, the, the bulb is the vehicle. We don't yeah. identify with the vehicle. We identify just simply with the, the, the process, the flow of the light passing through. Yeah. That's kind of what our consciousness is. Yeah, well, and it's like identifying with the thing that does the identifying. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like the <laughs> thing that does, that identifies itself with, with the job, the name, the body, whatever. Mm -hmm. that's what you got to identify with. But that thing doesn't really have a, you know, it's behind you all the time. It's never in front of you. It's not a, it's not <laughs> something you can conceive of because it's the thing doing the conceiving. It's like mm -hmm. it, you know, you can't see it because it's the recipient of sight. Like it's the thing <laughs> that is experiencing seeing right now. So yeah. it's, it gets kind of like hard to intellectualize it because it's, again, it's beyond the intellect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There is no intellectualization of the self. Damn. Yeah. Well, and every just... time we do it, it's a false version of that, or it's a, it's a, a model, right? Which models mm -hmm. are useful again. Like that's what these myths are. According to Campbell is they're all models that teach us about various things, including this identity with consciousness instead of with the, the forms. Right. Mm -hmm. But uh, it also teaches you like the cycles of life, how to transition from one period to another um, the archetypes that are within you and that you'll meet in every person that, you know, like all mm -hmm. the different personality traits you can use. You can look at them like astrologically. You can look at them archetypically, like through the, the Jungian Campbell archetypes, you know, the hero, the trickster, the, yeah. the say, you know, the, the wise old man who teaches the young hero, all that stuff. Those are all archetypes from within ourselves. We all have those qualities within ourselves. Mm. And so the myths take these characters and externalize them so that we can learn about ourselves and the different energies. Do you energies. think they come from? Do you think that it was like, these stories and these archetypes were just present at one point in time, you know, yeah, I don't, like, where, I don't think it's, 
Yeah. I don't think it's, it's like a, it's that clean. Like, I think, you know, it's not like the chicken or the egg, right? Like, I think they like, there's probably a, a little thing that happens here that feeds this other thing that feed. And then like, you know, for example, the, um, the Zodiac, like, where did that come from? Well, we were no longer tree climbing apes. We had our hands to ourselves. We were looking at the sky for the first time. And we spent probably generations staring at that same night sky because it was like a clock for us. Right. Mm -hmm. We could predict the seasons and stuff, but the way that we remember things as humans is through storytelling. Mm -hmm. So instead of remembering, like when the sun passes through this weird symbol in the sky, it's like, no, 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 that's a bull. Right. And when the sun passes through the bull, you know where you are in the year. And so it becomes this like story of all these figures chasing the sun or the sun moving through the houses or whatever. That's how we remember stuff. So I think that's part of our, just the way that our brains work. Like we're storytelling creatures by nature and we have been from the get go. So, you know, I think that's, that's part of it, but there's probably a bunch of different things. Psychedelics plays into it. I think in our evolution, like there's a bunch of factors that go into it, but at the end of the day, it's just ideas for us to, to, to work with really Mm -hmm. that help us if we know how to read them and how to interpret them really. Yeah. You have to know how to interpret it. Yeah, that's why Campbell was so good because he spent his whole life reading these things and he saw the same story or the same pattern in every story almost like you know the same cycle so Mm -hmm. really interesting guy yeah because then if you interpret the stories and the myths a little bit better you can interpret your own being a little bit better yeah and you can be guided through life in certain ways like it's so crazy how often I like will talk to people and you know oftentimes people will come to me with their issues or whatever and I'm I like being a support for people so but there's so many times where people are going through these things and I'm like, you're on the threshold of adventure. Like that's pure Campbell, right? Like I learned that from him, but you know, the signs, you know, the signs, it's like, you're at this crossroads and on this side is the safe path, the world that you're familiar with. And on this side is mystery, danger, you know, transformation, Mm -hmm. treasure, right? All kinds of cool stuff. But people, (laughs) when they're on that threshold, it's scary because it's like, you're leaving the world that you know behind. Yeah. Um, but that's a motif if you think about it in all the great stories that you've probably ever read, all the movies that you've watched, like that's like Frodo leaving the Shire, right? Mm-hmm. Right before he's that's going on his big adventure. Yeah, hundred percent. But that happens in your life all the time. There's all of these moments in your life. I'm sure if you look back where you're like, holy shit, that was pivotal. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the threshold of adventure. And after that, nothing was the same again, right? Yep. You had to throw the ring in Mount Doom. Exactly. And then he gets, he gets back home eventually, which is how the cycle always ends. Right. But when he gets back home, he's no longer the same Frodo. He's completely transformed from these adventures. So it's like, that's the, the next challenge for the hero is how do you reintegrate into your old world, your old life, now that you've gone through all of these trials and tribulations and, you know, discovered all these crazy things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the psychedelic motif. It's the whole, idea the uh behind the the psychedelic experience it's a rebirth experience that's right yeah and then you have to come back to the world of sobriety with whatever you know bring back whatever you found there whatever happened to you you have to reintegrate it into your daily so yeah it's it's metaphorical but it's also literal like there are times where it's like i have a you know i have a choice to leave my job and take on this riskier thing but this riskier thing is my passion So it's like, do I stick with what's safe? Do I take the plunge? Like sometimes it's literal. Sometimes it's like you literally went inside yourself and came out a new person. Mm -hmm. 
from a psychedelic experience or a mystical experience or whatever. And then it's like, well, grappling with that, that becomes the new adventure. How do I fucking live in this world with one foot in here and one foot in there, you know, like Mm -hmm. all these different challenges present themselves. Yeah. That's pretty wild, man. It's about stepping out of your comfort zone. You know, it's just that idea of simple, man, just step out of your comfort zone here and there, get to these mini rebirths here and there. That's right. I think your personality is. And that leads to a, uh, an actual rebirth of what you are you know it doesn't happen overnight rome wasn't built in a day i think you can come to that realization from a psychedelic experience or any kind of meditation experience you know what something that happens in your life whatever that is that is the uh, catalyst for change you can come to that realization but the actual change from that realization takes time and a lot of integration i think that's what the important um that's the important part of psychedelics and how we use them is being able to go into these mystical um, experiences of myth and folklore, and then be able to translate that the messages for your own being, so that you can ultimately live a better life. You know, that's, that's the goal. Yeah, live a better life. And like Campbell says, get comfortable with the fact that eventually it's going to end and transform it to something different. Mm hmm. That's, it's funny because I I think that idea is hard to grapple, obviously, but it actually is when you do grapple it, it's the most peaceful thing that could ever happen to your being when you truly do confront your own demise. It's a ironic idea because we're so afraid, but wouldn't you really, you know, take in that this isn't forever and the the true temporary nature of the current moment, it's, um, it's a powerful vehicle for changing your whole entire being, your whole entire perspective, your mindset on what this life is. And that is essentially, that's the rebirth experience, you know? Yeah. They all yeah, talk absolutely. about Yeah. Yeah. It was an, it, that's an idea I was exposed to as a teenager. And I thought it was so stupid. I like dismissed it out of hand. You know, this whole like meditating on your own death, your own mortality or, you know, memento mori, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, for me, it gives me like a, almost like a new lease on life. Cause it's like, Oh, you know, but I'm not dead now. Right. <laughs> exactly. Here I am. Right. Could, could be any time, but not right now, obviously, cause I'm right here contemplating it. So time to get my ass in gear and make sure that I don't leave any regrets on the table. You know, like mm-hmm. I don't want to be on my deathbed thinking I should have been a better father, should have mm-hmm. been a better husband. should have been a better friend. Like now's the time to make sure that that doesn't happen because I'm alive now. So yeah, man. Yeah. It's freeing in a lot of ways. Um, it gets you more into the the now literally be here now yeah. It, yeah. that's it enables me at least to be able to say all right this whatever the moment is isn't forever good or bad positive or negative whatever your outlook on it is whatever it is it's not forever so like you said i'm here now i'm gonna take it in <laughs> the best of it yeah you have to man it's all perspective in life that's what i've been um, contemplating recently is it's all mindset this entire show that's going on on the internet and in you know the, the drama of your own life it's really just a test for you to come to the consciousness of it's all grace coming to the consciousness that it's all um going according to plan and like joseph campbell said you're just kind of going with the flow you know he kind of said something like that right it was yep. like you just kind of sink into the flow yeah yeah and you make your life a dance you know I think um, he's on to something. <laughs> that's the, no doubt. 
that's the vibe, man. That's the flow. It's the eternal flow throughout time. You know, you can always yep. tap in. It's always there. And it's, um, it is grace, man. It is a, it, it's liberation from the uh, shackles of Maya. Some people would say, mm-hmm. you know, the things, the fetters of Maya, the things mm-hmm. that keep us just chained into thinking this is what we are. And um, this is the story. I'm suffering. I'm the victim. <laughs> Woe is me. When really it's the opposite, man. Once you take a different perspective, you become the hero. You become the main character in this journey. And um, yeah, it's awesome. It's like you don't go back. <laughs> yeah, You don't go back. I mean, you do. I think, I think it's not, I'm not 100% on that wavelength, but I know that you can attune to the force you know you can attune to the vibe and always tap in that's right with nature or yourself it's it's a powerful thing to be able to um do that for yourself you know it's like it's, it's like strength <laughs> i agree yeah you Earth can always strength. slip into old patterns for sure but because you've basically once you once you see the light you can always turn back to it right you might lose your way and be like you know tur- with your back turned but at any moment you're like, Oh, right. Oh, right. Yes. Okay. And then you're, <laughs> yeah. you can go back to it. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, that's what you mean. Right. I think it's not <laughs> that you're, it's not that you become it perfectly enlightened and you're always above it. You, you go back into the, you get lost in the sauce, as you like to say it happens, but you always know your way out. And for me, especially recently, even when I find myself like, you know, getting lost in the sauce, getting lost <laughs> in old patterns, I find that there's always a part of me that's like standing aside, watching me do it. And going mm-hmm. like putting a hand on my shoulder and being like, there, there, you loser. Like, it's okay. <laughs> like, just shut up. Stop being a whiner. It's okay. Yeah. You know, there's always a part of me that's detached from it. So for me, that's like, no, I'd be happy if that was it. Like if, if that was the best I could hope for, it is so much better than my old uh, way of operating where I would just get fully lost in the sauce, you know, where I had mm-hmm. no choice. There was no way to pull out of it. Um, and it would last longer, right? When you're completely lost in it like a fight with your spouse can last weeks. And now it's like a, th- a three second bit of like, uh, followed by a, oh, right. This is stupid. Oh, you know, right. that, exactly. That's the reaction. Yeah. It's like, oh, I forgot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it might, <laughs> might, might be longer than three seconds. I shouldn't be too, I shouldn't yeah. falsify it too much. But like, even if it's like, I spend an hour telling myself she doesn't appreciate what I do and all the things that I do for this family. And, and then after an hour, I'm like, are you done now? Mm -hmm. okay can we go back to normal all right sweet (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. but you're right you hit on something important there the stories the stories we tell ourselves and that we believe in wholeheartedly Mm -hmm. do you think that other um layer of your consciousness is like this eternal witness that you can just tap into no matter the situation and that's kind of the i guess goal if there is a goal to this whole thing is to be able to tap into that eternal witness and then from there you're good <laughs> yeah i don't know if I, there's so many different ways like i get confused when i start really trying to model it too much like i mm-hmm. i like to think of the analogy of like the center so then I, I so then i'm like okay well the center of what like the psyche okay so the farther out from the center you move the more you're identifying or dealing with external forms the closer you are to the center the closer you are to that source of light of awareness which is your true being right mm-hmm. Um, when you're in the perfect center, like shit can be happening all around you inside you, like anger can be floating around. But so that's the way I liken it is like, there's a part of me that's rooted to that center now. So that even when there's anger and resentment and all these crazy things floating around, that part of me is like in the eye of the storm and it's not affected by 
the, the emotions and the thoughts it's it's watching mm-hmm. a lot of me might be involved in the anger and then the, the the drama but there's always that part of me that's like it's almost like an anchor to that center place where yeah. it's not affected by that shit Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that when we talk about the eternal witness, that's to me, that's the center. Like, that's just another way of looking at it, right? Another if you story. are that witness, yeah, all that anger and stuff can be happening around you, but you're not affected by it. You're like the lotus in the water, <laughs> but never wet. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, same idea, though. I mean, these are all just, again, different models, right? Different ways of looking at it. Exactly, man. The same, I, I mean, different ideas on the same experience Essence. reality experience thing no word yeah. more words right exactly yeah mm-hmm. even just trying to say that is is more ling- linguistic uh you know <laughs> acrobatics so well how did you develop this center would you say where did you come to find the center yeah how? it's it's finding it for sure because everybody's got it that's mm-hmm. that's the key right <sighs> fuck man you know what it's getting it's i think it started i started to find it and um and go back to it more regularly when i cleared my shit out because if mm-hmm. you're if you're on the outskirt of that circle like if you're on the outer periphery of that circle that i was talking about the psyche and it's crowded in there you got all kinds of beliefs and ideas and the deeper you go the more those beliefs become hard to identify they become like assumptions or expectations that you don't consciously state to yourself you don't go around thinking to yourself, everything today is going to go exactly the way I want it to as planned. You don't say that, but if you go deep enough, you will see that that expectation is there because when things don't go your way, what happens? You get angry. You Mm -hmm. start telling this little poor me story or whatever. So for me, it was like this initial experience I had in 2013, it like cleared me out of a lot of that shit instantly. I was so blessed. It was, I don't know what it was. Grace. That was at work, right? Yeah, man. It was like in a, in a flash, like of a few minutes, plus like, you know, processing it after the fact, a bunch of those ideas, a bunch of those beliefs were gone. They they Mm. were just gone. I still have a bunch, but you know, like take half of the stuff in your house and get rid of it. You got a lot more space now to see and to maneuver and to just, it just clears you out. Right. And so at that point I was actually able to see myself a bit more clearly because there was a bunch of crap that was no longer there. So it was pure luck, man, pure or whatever, grace, blessing, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, yeah, but then that doesn't mean that you're going to find the center necessarily either, right? You can easily just go back to the old way and you're just a bit happier or whatever. So it's, you know, since then it's been eight years of me kind of circling the the center and finding it sometimes and learning Mm -hmm. sort of like how to stay there. And yeah, it's, uh, it's an imperfect process but you know it's, it's always ongoing and like you said it's it's finding your way back there that's important yeah. and and trying to stay tethered to it as much as possible so that even if you have to wander out into the <laughs> you know maya and the the dense forest of material illusions more get caught up in work and you know all that mm-hmm. stuff you're still it's like a, a, a cookie cr- or a breadcrumb trail or whatever you can follow it back to the center anytime right it's like emergency yeah. go back to the center quick mm-hmm. um yeah yeah. The and there's center. different ways, right? The, your breath can take you there. That's one of the ways that I can get back to the center very quickly. Oh yeah. 100%. Um, yeah. You know, so there's, there's all, all kinds of methods for, for going in, but you have to kind of discover them through experience yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you um, can take control of your breath, you definitely take control of how centered you are. Brings have everything you tried, down, um, right? Yeah. If you slow your breath down, all you got to do is just consciously slow your breath down. And yep. that's how you consciously slow 
your processing <laughs> in your mind down and it's it works man you ever try the yeah. box breathing which is like it's like four sec i mean people like to visualize a square yeah. so it's like uh, four seconds inhale four, hold, seconds, four seconds hold yeah four seconds exhale four seconds hold yeah. and or you can do five seconds or six seconds but whatever it is it's just like very very controlled um inhales and exhales and if you do that for like 20 30 seconds you'll notice a difference 100 percent. but just being able to consciously do that that's that's you know finding the center and then going after the center <laughs> you have to be able to know the techniques but if you know the techniques to be able to align yourself uh they're there man and they're they're there to actually do that to actually mm -hmm. find the center people have been doing this for years we just have we've been disconnected from methods to be able to uh center ourselves yeah but, but they're there they're out there man and like you said yeah the breath 100 i don't know anything more powerful than just being able to just go anywhere because we're always breathing so yeah. no matter what you can always center yourself as long as you're breathing there's always that um sense of control that we yeah. have and it's just the it's just about becoming aware as long yeah. as you can become aware of the breath or whatever your your thing is to align you um some people use like i don't know like certain sensations in their body or yeah. you know rosaries like there's yeah, all kinds object, of stuff yeah whatever yeah, it is beads whatever yeah yeah mm-hmm Whatever Anything it is. to fix your uh, your attention, right? Yeah, you just have to be able to fix your attention on one thing, and and that's how you fix your attention on the eternal witness, or you become the eternal witness. That is fixing your attention. Yeah, beautiful thing. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's interesting that the breath is so you know it's like the most important thing, right? Without air, you're not gonna you're not gonna need water or food. If you can't breathe, you're dead. Yeah. Uh, but it's like the thing that we do most unconsciously. And when you right. like, I don't know, like I, when I first started doing this stuff, I, I, I would catch myself like either like breathing really fast or holding my breath. And mm -hmm. I never noticed that. And it's like, Holy crap. Like how long have I been holding my breath for? It feels like I've been <laughs> holding it, you know? And then all of a sudden you're like, <gasps> mm -hmm. like you've been underwater for a while, but yeah, it's this thing that is like our, it's our lifeline and we don't really pay attention to it. And the moment you become mindful of your breath it just quiets everything down right away yeah. it's the, the box breathing. hardest thing yeah it's, it is absolutely yeah Crazy. if you can just be completely mindful of your breath all day long i think that's what enlightened people are because it's like there's mm -hmm. no thinking involved you mm -hmm. know if you're focused on your breath the mind doesn't have enough energy to get going and start telling its story and that's mm -hmm. kind of where that that silence comes from right because especially like with box breathing you're having to concentrate so much on like making sure your breaths are even you're holding it for the right amount of time. And that concentration takes all the energy away from your mind. It can't tell its story anymore. It's exactly. just, it, it becomes completely quiet. And then you can find that peace in that center in that, in that silence. Right. We can always do that. We can always come back to the breath, man. Try it out, man. Like uh, anybody listening, just yeah. try out slowing down your breath, look up box breathing, look up anything that has to do with slowing down your breath, any kind of, um, guided meditation to quell anxiety and you'll notice a difference man all you got to do is breathe we just got to breathe a little slower yeah pretty cool. yeah anything that draws your attention into your sensations your body away again it just takes energy from the mind and the mind a damn becomes, monkey mind 
yeah, it becomes a little bit more docile and easy to work with because you're starving in a bit, right? It doesn't always mm-hmm. have energy. It's not always running the show. It, you know, you're interrupting it. And the more you can interrupt it, the better, because that's breaking a pattern. Mm. What do you do for uh, meditation techniques? Honestly, just sit and breathe, right? Uh, I try, the, the main thing for me is, so a couple things. Sometimes I'll do box breathing. Sometimes I'll do, um, I'll just count like one in, two out. I'll count to 10 and then start at zero again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll do that probably five times. And then I stop counting and I just focus on my breathing because by then the mind, again, because you've been focusing on counting your breath and, and breathing evenly, your mind doesn't have any energy. So it's quiet throughout that whole time. I find, mm-hmm. um, so then when I get to around the fifth one, I stop counting because by now the mind is just silent and it'll stay that way because I've already shut it up. Right. Um, so then I just focus on my breathing. Um, Isn't that pretty cool to be able to do? Yeah. I, we can all you do, can it. do it. I believe we can. You can trick your mind into doing this too, because the mind is like a one, one trick that I've found works really well for people. And I work for me is ask yourself, what am I going to think next? <laughs> what is my next thought? And see how long it takes for something to happen. You, mm-hmm. You'll have some, you'll have mental. And I did this with a friend of mine and it was the first time she'd ever had mental silence that she was aware of. Mm-hmm. She was like, I didn't have thoughts for like 10 seconds. I'm like, yeah, pretty cool. Right. So <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it works because it's like, as soon as you pose that question to the mind, the mind's waiting. Mm. And sometimes it takes a long ass time for things to come back. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, answerable brief- question. Kind of. Yeah. It's a paradox. You like fool the mind into being quiet for a minute. It's like, yeah. well, I don't know what is coming next. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. But, uh, yeah. There's all kinds of different tricks like that. Right. And so that's the other thing. Meditation, focusing on bodily sensations um, can really quiet the mind, but I have had success using the mind against itself <laughs> mm. and fueling the mind so that it can basically dismantle some of its own constructs. Like the, I think in, um, in Vedic philosophy, you know, they talk about discernment, the sort of discernment, actually, that's, that's what I use. That's what this owl is holding in its claws. Hard to see in the video, but, um, you know, you they talk that? about, yeah, yeah, yeah. They talk about cutting through illusion with the sort of discernment, right? Discernment being like the ability to see through bullshit, the ability to see through and to through to the essence of things, right? Yeah. It's not that the surface level is an illusion necessarily. It's just that, it's the surface and it's, it's not necessarily the true essence of the thing. It rarely is. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like through Socratic inquiry, asking a lot of questions, asking myself a lot of questions about things. Like when I react a certain way going, why are you reacting that way? And then mm-hmm. having a conversation with myself, which is what crazy people do. I know. We um, do it. Yeah. But, but doing it consciously is powerful. Right, we do it unconsciously. Consciously talk to yourself. Yes. Versus yeah. like having, you know, sometimes you see somebody like my daughter's hilarious for this. I'll walk in and she's like, doesn't know that I'm there. And she's just having a full blown conversation with herself. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, she's like 11 or whatever. Right. But, you know, we all do it. You're right. But when you do it consciously, you can have great effects because you can call yourself out. You can, um, you know, if you're like, well, this person did this to me, that's why I'm mad. And it's like, it, how's that helping? Um, yeah. You know what I mean? You can mm-hmm. kind of talk yourself down in a way. It's really strange, but it's, I think it's because we have those two hemispheres, you know, we, we can really like, we're, we are already divided in a way uh, mm-hmm. our brains are. So, you know, you can kind of 
have those types of conversations with yourself because there's more than one you in there mm-hmm. <laughs> if you want to look at it that way. Yeah, right. That is pretty powerful. Sometimes I'm, I'm talking to myself and then I say we rather than I. I'm like, wait, why am I saying me and myself? We? Yeah, me, me, myself and I. Yeah, well, to think about it, myself implies that there's something to which the self My belongs. Myself. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> to whom does this self belong? <laughs> me. Yeah. It belongs so to me. So there's you and yourself. So it is we. You're right. Oh, that's so funny, dude. Yeah. And again, the, to me, it's like, it's all one, you know, that we've all, yeah. not all, but you and I for sure have experienced the unity of being multiple times, I'm sure in our lives. And so we know that the underlying reality is a single whole, but it's really helpful to be able to play around with the idea that there's two of you in there. Cause now you can talk yourself down and you can call yourself out on your own bullshit. So it's not that there actually are two of you in there. It's just a, a helpful way of looking at it sometimes. It's a helpful story of ourself. There you go. Right. <laughs> it's the dualistic. It's the non-dualistic dualistic viewpoint. Of the there self. you go. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's holding both together. Right. And using both because uh, they all have their place. Damn. <laughs> oh, That's man. Powerful, man. Yeah, it's well, yeah, I, I, I guess so. If you if you can experience it, you know, if you're because if, we're talking about it, but until you experience it for yourself, it's, it might sound like craziness. It might sound like, like you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, I'll talk to myself. I'm not crazy. I'm not going to do that. Okay, cool. Like (laughs) suit yourself, you know, but Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, uh, you need to be a little bit, um, like humble in a sense, because you have to be open to the possibility that, yeah, there is, another you in there, maybe multiple yous. <laughs> they don't all <laughs> yeah. want the same things, you know? More than just one. Could be different. I kind of just like look at um, like different parts of our brain, different um, ways that we interpret the world, our yep. different selves. I guess there's, there's sometimes I find myself like angry. That could be another self, angry Gary. And then yep. there's happy Gary. <laughs> And then there's chill, Gary. Those are just all different stories that we tell. I can't picture you angry, bro. I can't see you. I don't really get angry, to be honest with you, man. No, I was going to say, I don't think that happens often for you. Only I get angry at like inanimate objects. I don't get angry at people. You know what I mean? I mean, sometimes like if somebody cut me off in traffic or something, I'd probably be angry for like five seconds. but, But like usually like it's if I stub my toe or just something doesn't screw Damn table. Right. Yeah. I get mad at these things. Like, why is it not going according to plan? Or like, why, why did that happen? Or yeah. I hit my head or something. That's usually when I get mad, but it's not worth it. Like I almost always can understand people's position. Uh, so I'm just like, I, it's like with a sense of understanding, it calls away my anger toward yeah. other people. Cause I just know that, I don't know. I just know that nobody, I mean, maybe some people, maybe like psychopaths and sociopaths, but I don't think anybody's doing anything out of ill intent. And it's it's just like a a source of um, either just being lost or just being ignorant. I don't think there's any kind of like evil truly in human beings. I think, I think that human beings can still commit evil acts though. Like I said, we can still be lost, very, very lost in the sauce, but ultimately our purest form is, of a like a like a kid you know it's just like an innocent being that we should that i try to see in people and then because of that i try to forgive them for their actions 
you know? Yeah. So because yep. of that, it actually makes me less angry. It makes me happier, you know? It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it makes me be able to just be like, go with the flow, like we talked about. Be able to just be like, oh, you know, they're just a little ignorant. They're just a little lost and use that as a lesson. You know, I, I try not to get angry at people, man. But like I said, if you cut me off in traffic, you're going to, you might get the finger. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Real quick, just for like five seconds. Yeah. Yeah. A little flash in the pan. And I'm like, bro. all right, chill out, bro. Yeah. It's not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> it's. Yeah. I was talking to my friend Cressy yesterday and uh, my, uh, until yesterday, my view was that anger has no benefit whatsoever. Um, yeah. I was talking I've about had, that with somebody the, the other day too. That's yeah. Funny. And I've had, I've had this conversation many times over the years and people usually have counter arguments like, well, anger can be a really good motivator to like make you do stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but it's never the best motivator. Mm -hmm. Like anger, like, so I use the analogy or the example of like police brutality towards like uh, visible minorities in the U S right. I can look at that and I can get angry and I can be angry at the system, angry at the cops. And that can motivate me to become an activist. Absolutely. Or I can look at the, the people who are being victimized, feel love and compassion for them and a love mm. for justice and wanting to help people. And then that can motivate me to be an activist. I think that's much better motivation than being angry at cops, angry at, you know, whatever anger does. It just never leads to mm -hmm. uh, optimized, you know, outcomes for anybody involved. The person who's angry, the person who's the recipient of it, whatever. Um, but my friend told me something yesterday that was that changed my mind. I actually saw there basically anger is good if it's uh, coming from a place of depression. So if you're basically depression is like the worst. And mm -hmm. so if you're a depressed person and you feel anger in that moment, that's actually a step up because now it's like, oh, oh. there's a sign of life in you. It's mm -hmm. like something's got you roused. Something's got you living again. So in that one finite situation, that one very specific setting, it actually is good. And I didn't, I didn't know that until yesterday. So uh, fun fact, I, it, she changed my opinion because until that moment, I was like, there is no value in anger ever, period. Mm -hmm. And I should have known that was wrong because there's no absolutes in this world. There's always exceptions to every rule, but yeah. Anyway, so I just thought I'd share that with you because it was like, wow, you just, you just learned me something like profound because yeah, I was, I was setting my ways there. Anger was a no, no in all cases until yesterday. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. It's better to yeah. feel something than nothing at all. Yeah. And then she asked me, she was like, have you ever been depressed, uh, Ollie? Cause she, like, she was describing it. And I was like, I don't think I have. And then I was thinking about it after that exchange. And I said, you know why? Because I had anger my whole life to keep me warm. So I mm -hmm. never got depressed. And so it makes sense. Again, it's, it was like, instead of getting depressed, I went to anger, right. Instead of being depressed at like, Oh, I don't have any friends or I'm not popular. I would be like, look at those fucking cool kids thinking they're so fucking cool losers, you know? And that, that's what kept me out of being depressed, I guess, for all those years. Mm. So yeah. Interesting perspective. Yeah. I don't know. I, again, like other than that, what use, said, uh, I guess there's no use for anger though. <laughs> no and i think again like it's the it's the very bottom of the of the uh emotional, the emotional. hierarchy yeah. yeah it's like it's only one the only thing lower than that is depression so yeah i, I still don't think like you know it's a good motivator like, i had one person tell me well if you're getting into a fight anger is a good thing and i'm like dude i boxed for <laughs> for seven like it's actually for not, ten, 10 years no you don't want to be angry in a yeah. fight dude you want to be completely calm and clear because then you're going to see openings you're going to stick to your game plan when you get mad yeah. it all goes out the window and you're a fucking wreck yeah think so about when you watch a ufc fighter 
Like the calmest one yeah. is usually the one that's in control. You don't see the guy that's just like trying to throw haymakers all day, winning the fight. Usually, you have to it be yeah. calculated. So yeah, even in a how we evolved anger, which was like a self defense mechanism, kind of in yeah. terms of fighting and hunting and stuff like that. Even in that sense, it's not even beneficial. Like even though that's how we developed it, because it comes yeah. from that violent aspect that we have as as apes, right? It's just yep. like that fighting spirit. Even when you're fighting, it's not useful. It's better no. to just be calm, cool, and collected. Totally. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I've heard, I've, I thought I'd heard every argument for anger and I thought it was, it, it, I had routinely defeated it, but this one new one is like, well, no, you're right. That's uh, if you're depressed. So next time I have a friend who's depressed, I'm going to try to piss him off. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Trigger him as much as I can. Ah, oh, you're feeling better. I see. <laughs> right. That might yeah. be a way to do it. Like, you know, yeah, well, take the first a hit step at somebody's ego. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, know. poor little you. Yeah, no, I don't know. Um, I'm not a psychologist, obviously. Yeah, it's a real thing. There's ways out of it, though. That's what I like to try to keep in my mind. Like, for anybody, I, I really believe that you can get out of depression. We have the tools. We we yeah. have the ability. Just, um, just be um receptive to change. That's it. Just be open to the change. And changing your viewpoint of um, the woe is me victim mentality. Because life is all perspective, man. It's all mindset. And I'm not saying that depression isn't a real thing. I'm not saying that people suffer from it every day. But we have hope. We have uh, a way to liberation, man. A way to actually get yourself out of that that mindset of depression. That perspective of this sucks. You know, I'm suffering. Uh, I mean... I've been there, you know, I felt that I know how it feels. It sucks. And it feels like you're in like a bottomless pit of your own uh, lack of self worth, man. You know, it's like you're you're your own worst enemy when you're there. But the realization that you can come to that we can all come to is that no, you're your own best friend. When you can become your own best friend, no matter what, that's your way out. That's the mindset out of this depressive rut that we've been um, uh, conditioned into, you know, this depressive, like mindset and paradigm, and you're not good enough, uh, idea, um, from our culture. It's not, it's not natural, man. Like our natural way is being, feeling bliss, you know? And if you can tap into that, you don't always have to be at that all the time, but you can tap into that vibe. You can align yourself to become centered with that in your own being you can we all have the capability to do so um it's a beautiful thing to be able to say that there is hope man there is hope for everybody man i agree man Uh, i think uh, i the only thing i'm not sure about with depression is i think there are certain cases where there's a physiological brain like maybe brain trauma it's physiological and so you you may need you know you may need medical intervention for sure but i think of the vast majority of cases that we call depression these days i think they're not that um and again i could be completely wrong speaking on my ass but it seems like the people that i know that i encounter that are quote unquote depressed it's not like a uh, a chemical imbalance that's inherent to some problem with their brain it's it's something wrong with the story they're telling themselves as you said um, well, but yo, here's my story qu- could be this. Sorry. You're going to just oh, say this. No, real go quick. ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Save your point though. Save your point. Yeah. I think even the story could be associated with that chemical imbalance in your brain, but we can True. balance the chemicals. You know, it might be yeah. through medicinal, um, you know, going through pharmaceuticals or even yeah. psychedelics, whatever it is, you can balance these chemicals yourself. Yeah. And we have the tools that are necessary to do that, you know? Whatever it is, I think we're all, you know, we're, unless, unless it's physiological, like you said, you have some kind of like mental 
you know, birth defect or, you know, you got a car accident or something, whatever. Yeah. I think most people, you know, a good percentage are able to see the light and work our way. Yeah. Well, no, and you included pharmaceuticals in there. That's all I was trying to say is like for, for everybody, you know, for everybody that can pull uh, him or herself out of a depressive state through meditation, yoga, you know, supplements, think, you know, or positive thinking, there are some people who need uh, some kind of medical intervention. I think P- perhaps, I don't know, it seems likely to me that there's some people that no matter what, how much meditation they do, there's, there's something wrong with the actual organ itself. And uh, you need some outside help to balance things out. But you're totally right. The story you tell yourself will create the chemical imbalance. If you're always telling yourself a poor little me story, your body's going to react to it as if it's true. And it's going to release the the chemicals that make you depressed. So 100%, (laughs) it's not like, you know, you have a chemical imbalance, you need drugs necessarily. You could be creating that chemical imbalance by the way you think and the story that you believe in and that you're telling yourself. Um, But what I was going to say to you is, until you've experienced a perspective shift like yourself or myself or, you know, either through psychedelics or whatever means, I don't think people can actually conceive of it. And I don't think people can actually believe that it's possible because it's, it's like, I mean, you can't, it's hard to describe, but it's like, everything's the same, right? You, you have a, a perspective shift after you have the shift, everything externally is the same but everything is completely different. And mm-hmm. until you experience that for yourself, it's it's hard to believe that it's possible, I think. Yeah. So like telling people like, all you got to do is change your perspective. It's like, <laughs> it doesn't, it's not that easy. <laughs> damn. Yeah. If, if it, it's it true, is the truth. Yeah. But how the fuck easy. do you do that? Right. And so, yeah, that's, uh, that's the question to me is first timers, right? Like, how do you, how do you get them? How do you get them there? How do you help people realize that, you can change your perspective and Hmm. that your perspective really informs your entire experience of, of life as it is. You don't react to things as they are. You react to your opinion of those things, right? And those opinions you can change, but how do you get people there, Gary? How do you help them uh, feel the truth of that instead of just us intellectualizing it, you know? Yeah, that's a good one, man. I don't know the answer to that. That's a powerful question. Well, for you, it was psychedelics. And meditation, right? Combination of the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you remember like having a distinct shift in your perspective and how, and how would you, how would you describe that shift? Like before the shift and after the shift, what, how would you describe it to people? Oh man, before and after, I mean, there was multiple shifts. I'll probably yeah. say like a few times, maybe like three or four times. And it was definitely due to magic mushrooms. <laughs> yeah. There was this one time I, took magic mushrooms somebody playing music might be in the background of my house there's uh, somebody one of my uh, somebody's bumping in a car outside oh okay so yeah this one time i took um it was a lot of magic mushrooms dude it was probably i had a bag of it was it was like four to five grams or five i don't know it was between four and six grams of mushrooms that i had and I, uh, you know, took Terrence McKenna's advice and he said, if you don't feel it, eat more because I was just eating the bag as you go like chips. So I just kept eating. I'm like, I don't feel it. I don't feel it. And then I stopped. There was one left and I was like, all right, I'm done. I started to feel sick. The room was spinning. I went in, laid in my bed and um, just went on this journey of um, 
the mind, man. It just felt like a rebirth, like a a reuniting with source. Hard to explain. And it all started off with just a bunch of eyes just showing up <laughs> and watching me. It was I've never hallucinated before that. And I was like, what is going on? And I just felt the immense love that is always present. Like there's always that love that is present that I tapped into. And I thought it was the most beautiful thing to be able to always tap into that that flow of love, you know? And um, that was probably one of the biggest um, shifts for me to realize that that love is forever there that you can always tap into. And that is the way to live life. The path of the heart is yep. like, that is, that's what all the, the yogis talk about, man. That's what Jesus Christ talked about, man. This is what all the prophets say. It's the path of the heart, man. You just to um, be able to tap into that, universal flow of love um it's a powerful thing man that's kind of what we're talking about to be able to tap into um working with your heart a little bit more and you know like we talked about forgiving people um understanding that we're all suffering that we're all going through this thing together you know we're all in this together so to be able to approach um other people with that mindset is kind of my path to the heart to be able to realize that you know you're going through your own stuff i'm going through my stuff everybody's going through their own stuff you know it's dukkha it's the first noble truth to be able to approach people in that manner um really opens myself to be able to approach people of like and truly love them like of the heart to, to almost understand other people's viewpoints and other people's um positions in life and perspectives in life and to be able to um, almost forgive them and accept them for exactly who they are. And that was probably like the biggest shift to realize that we're all going through it. We're all here. There's, there's no, like I said before, man, there's no evil people. You know, we're all good people deep down, like whatever story I want to say about Jim, because Jim you know, screwed me over on with 10 bucks. He owes me 10 bucks. Oh, he's an asshole. Whatever it is, man, you know, we're all going through it, bro. Jim probably didn't mean it. Maybe he forgot about the 10 bucks, you know? Yeah. It's yeah maybe like he idea. needs it more than you do, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Jim, you can have the 10 bucks. And that's yeah, kind of worth you, it. That's the whole perspective change for me. It's like a sense of understanding. Not that I want Jim to steal $10 from me, <laughs> but it's almost like it gives me a sense of like, oh, I get it, man. Like, whatever. You know, yeah. as long as you're not, I mean, I'm not saying there's not evil, man. I, I don't think I'm, I'm at the Jesus level being able to forgive everybody, you know, forgive them, Father. Yeah. They do not know. That's the idea that I like to keep in my head. But that's what I have to continue to remind myself to abide in is that energy of, you know, recognizing another being and recognizing that they're just, they're going through it too, man. You yeah, know, we're all going through it. <laughs> Powerful. Yeah, that is powerful. That's so that's, that's a huge shift. I mean, that's fucking massive. I'm, I'm only coming to that now, buddy. <laughs> I'm yeah. only coming to that now in the last year or so I'm, I've, I finally set foot on the path of love, the path of the heart. And, uh, and you know, like, again, this whole thing, it's like, if you have a spiritual awakening or some kind of experience like that, a mystical experience, that's just the fucking start, buddy. Like mm -hmm. I, I thought when I had my cubicle epiphany, part of me thought like, oh my God, this is it. The cubicle this is epiphany. It. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought like, that's it. That, that This is the end of the road. I don't have mm -hmm. to worry about shit anymore. It's all over. 
dude, <laughs> mm-hmm. there's so much more to it. And then you just keep learning. It never stops. You just keep learning and keep growing and keep, yeah. and sometimes it's refining what was already there. Like there's certain things that, yeah, I got it right off the start, but there was more to it and I needed to go deeper. And, you know, I, it's a good thing that I just ca- carried on because if I had just stopped right there and said, yep, I got it all. I'm, I got it all figured out man, I would have missed out on the most important stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I, there's still stuff that I don't even know about yet. So, oh, yeah. you know, but yeah, the path of the heart and love, like leading with love, like leading if we with could love. all, you know what I mean? If you could just, whatever you're doing, go with love, like be motivated by love in your interactions with people, put love first, lead with love. Like mm-hmm. I try to remind myself of that stuff like every day because it's like interactions with my kids, right? I can be annoyed that they made a mess or did some shit, or I can go in with love. It doesn't mean I'm not going to make them clean up the mess they made, but my demeanor and the way that I interact with them is going to be completely different if I lead with love. Lead with so love, bro. Yeah, man. And it's, it's hard though. It's a fucking steep path. Right. I mean, and that's the, the narrow gate that Jesus talked about. It's, it's hard sometimes to stay on that path. Right. Because we get pulled into like, Oh, it's not fair or, you know, whatever, like, especially, you know, in this day and age, like there's so much stuff happening out there and it's, it's hard to walk the path of love, but it's It's more important now than ever before, because there's so much hate and fear and division in the world. Mm Mm-hmm. Sometimes when I'm interacting with somebody that I don't quite necessarily know, I like to just experiment and go, I love this person (laughs) and just see how that, and it works. Sometimes when I consciously say, you know what, he might be talking a little weird, you know, he might smell a little weird, whatever it is, you know what? (laughs) But I I love love this person. Yeah. (laughs) Try it out, you know, try it out sometimes. Just say, I love, and it really does. Like they kind of, I notice when I consciously say that, which isn't often, it's hard to actually like come aware in that in that moment and say that you love that person because you might not (laughs) but to try and love the person and to say that automatically switches up like the energy like they kind of get that vibe that that yeah when i it's it's weird man like you can just tell when somebody's being fake like fake love and real love like when you actually just say it to yourself and just try to vibrate at that level of like you know i love you man and just sit with that and just take it in Take the whatever interaction is going on with this person in for who they are in that moment. Try and love them as much as you can. It it um it's a different way to live life. And it's kinda opens up different doors. You know, it opens up people and it makes life a little more interesting because you realize that that's what it's all about. Is we're 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 here to be that being of love. I and mean, we're not might not be there a hundred percent, you know. But I think it's a cool goal to try to attain, to be that loving person. Because what what's the worst that's going to happen? You can't out-love somebody, you know? <laughs> so why not make that your goal? Like, why not, why not love everybody? Isn't that the greatest goal of all time? If you can say, all right, well, I'm here for 80 years. What did I try to do while I was here? I tried to love everybody. Isn't that a great goal to try to aspire to, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I agree, man. <laughs> Not just everybody. Try to love everything. everything <laughs> you know man. what I mean? Like All I, of it. I, uh, I find it interesting, like picky eaters, you know, like I have some in my family, obviously some of my kids and it's like, you're just, you're just making life less pleasurable <laughs> by being mm-hmm. a picky person. Try to enjoy everything. Like mm-hmm. tr- try to find a way to enjoy all of the good, like not everything, obviously there are certain things you probably shouldn't enjoy because they're bad for you, but you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like try to be open to everything, 
Try to be receptive. Yeah. Receptive. And then that way you'll know whether you actually like it or not. Right. Mm -hmm. Because if you're just like, ew, it looks gross or, you know, I don't like vegetables or whatever. It's like, you could be missing out on your favorite food. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? You don't even know it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, being open is to me, kind of, I think synonymous with love, right? You have to be open in order to tap into that place that you describe where you become love, where you uh, experience love with no object, right? Yeah. Instead of like, I love this or that. It's like, no, no, no. I just, I love and it's I am the end love. Point. There's no conditions. It's just, I am yeah. love. Yeah. I think I heard Terrence McKenna say that one time. He's like, the pinnacle of this experience is just to resonate at love. Like there is no other explanation. If you can just love yeah. this experience for all its impurities, its imperfections, and all also on the other spectrum, its perfections as well, yeah. both the dark and the light, and just simply, um, just love it for what this experience is. That's, that's the goal. I, you know, I think if there is a goal to be able to resonate at that frequency for me, um, seems like that's a good, you know, compass, a good moral compass to try to, um, uh, further my being into, you know, totally. Yeah. You, there's no better direction. It's just, it, it just also happens to be extremely difficult at times. Right. That's the path, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's narrow and it's steep on both sides, <laughs> but not easy. Yeah. But the thing is like, like we said earlier, you know, you can always get back to it. It's okay. If you fall, it's okay. If you feel anger or resentment towards a person, mm-hmm. you just got to scramble back up on that path and get back to walking it because you're going to slip. It happens. Yeah. It happens. At least to, to everybody that I know. <laughs> yeah. There might mm-hmm. be some like enlightened yogis out there who are just strong on that path and nothing can knock them down. But, you know, sometimes I read news articles or I, you know, my friend tells me a story of like when she was a social worker, this fucking dad was uh, the way that he would like punish his kid is he would like grab him by his ankles and hang him over a well that was on their property. <laughs> my friend told me this story and I immediately reverted back to my homicidal like I was like, I, if I, if I was around back then I would have murdered that guy. I felt mm-hmm. it. I felt the genuine desire to go and throw that guy down his own fucking well. And I, mm-hmm. and, it, and it came out of me, man. And I, this is one of those moments where part of me was watching and going, Ollie, you're scaring your guests. You're getting too, you're getting too worked up about this, but it was mm-hmm. like, Nope, too late. The, the, the cat's out of the bag. Ollie's feeling his homicidal self again. And yeah, like I felt it in that moment when she told me that story, it was like a, a switch. And I was like, and I started talking about it too, because it was like, I had to come out. It was like that motherfucker, like, you know, so for me, it's like, you know, you're taking advantage of kids or you're beating up on kids or you're, you know, pedophiles or whatever. Love everybody. Right. I still got a ways (laughs) to go, Gary. I still got a ways to go. It's like any sane, rational person. You'd be like, yeah, obviously we don't, we don't accept pedophiles. Right. We don't, you know, or I mean, people that actually act on their pedophilia. Sure. We don't want to we don't want them in our society. Let's just get rid of them. Right. But well, that's like, a part of it. But, but then again, they're human beings and how, exactly. how did they end up this way? Because I know exactly. for, for myself, the mere thought of it is abhorrent. It's disgusting. It's repulsive, but for them, it's not. So something mm-hmm. happened to them. Either they were born a certain way and there's something inherent to them in their, in their biological programming, or they were molested as children. Mm-hmm. Like they're victims in, in themselves, either of biology or of, terrible life circumstances. So yeah, we don't want them in our society. Yeah. We don't want our poor, innocent children to be, uh, you know, traumatized by these types of experiences. But at the same time, those people are the victims of trauma. They're the victims of, of fate. 
And yeah, so how do you balance those things, right? That's the play, Ron, man. That's this whole journey, figuring it out, you know, in all of our differences. How do we balance that? You know, uh, how do we balance the greater good? And maybe sometimes people that aren't for the greater good. But how do you also love everybody at the same time? <laughs> and is it a contradiction, right? I mean, I, I personally think you can still, you can love someone and still in it and still put them in prison, mm-hmm. right? It's like, sorry, this is the best place for you, for you and for society is for you to be here. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think that, uh, again, probably like 1% of all criminals fit that description. The others are victims that need help that if they had the proper resources and the proper, again, if they had love Mm -hmm. uh, from society and from individuals, they would be able to get out of prison and be completely uh, perfectly good people. Like I, I, I volunteered uh, here in Canada for the corrections uh, like the, the parole board basically. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was um, like, I got to meet a lot of people that were either in prison or just coming out of prison. And I didn't meet a single person that I couldn't relate to. Like, they were all like, Holy shit, I could be, I could be here. Like I did Mm -hmm. things as a teenager that could have landed me in jail. And then once you're in jail, it's like, well, now you're, you're set up, right. Because you're, you're going to meet criminals. You're going to become embroiled in that lifestyle. And then when you come out of prison now, if you weren't a criminal before you will be now because you've been indoctrinated into that culture basically. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's like all of them were just people who were victims of circumstance, victims of, uh, Trump traumatic, uh, upbringings, you know, like their parents beat them. They had drug addict parent, you name it. None of them were just like, Oh yeah, I had perfectly good life. And I decided to become a Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, like, those people yeah. are extremely rare, but, uh, but again, those people exist and love everybody. Right. <laughs> so how do you reconcile yeah. that? Because if this person, you know, is going to go out and kill people or rape people or molest people, you got to love that person because they're the way they are for a reason, but yeah. you still got to take care of them and you put them away or, you know, at a certain point, like, is it cruel and unjust to keep a person caged for their life? Maybe it's uh, more humane to just, give them a quick painless death, you know, like just, (laughs) I'm just spitballing Gary. I'm not saying I'm like pro uh, capital punishment, but maybe in some cases it's actually the humane and correct thing to do very rarely. You know, I know what you mean, man. These, this is the societal discernment that we have to make as this giant um, tribe, you know, on earth, we have to actually make these decisions. And I think, you know, it's like, how do you love Hitler? You know, what would you do to Hitler? Would you, would you kill him? Or would you just, you know, he's, he's, he's being him. He's, he's, uh, you know, you got to love him for who he is. Or would you just like, if you had the opportunity, would you shoot Hitler in the head? Or would you let him go and love him for who he is? It's like, no, I shoot him in the head. Yeah. But can you do it out of love? I'm doing it out of love. I would would kill Hitler. Yeah. Because he's obviously so gone that the only way that he's going to be able to find some kind of peace is his own death. And right. he's also not going to cause the other deaths of millions and millions of people around right. the globe. <sighs> I know. Right. So, but, but <laughs> I think for me, when I do these types of thought experiments, it's like, that's like 0.001% of the time 
yeah. that's you can you that's the justifiable or the correct path violence right like yeah. i have this conversation with my wife all the time i tell her i'm like sometimes that's the only way mm-hmm. again very rarely very 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 rarely like i can't even calculate it because it's so rare but like you just described a perfect situation there right not only is it out of love for all the people that he could have taken out it's actually out of you could do it out of love for him because he's suffering too He's a deranged person and Mm. you know, he's doing the, can you imagine what would have to happen to you and the amount of methamphetamine you'd have to be on, (laughs) which he was right. He was fucking Mm -hmm. a junkie Um, for you to come to the conclusion that an entire group of people need to be exterminated and then to carry that shit out Mm -hmm. with methodical precision. Like obviously you're fucked. You are totally deranged. You're not a happy person. You're not having a meaningful, well, I guess it's meaningful in a a bad way, but you know, you're not having like a a good experience of life. Like put him out of his fucking misery. (laughs) That's what happens when you don't get accepted to art school, man. Oh man. Can you imagine? That's all. (laughs) If you didn't get accepted into art school, sorry, we're going to put you out of your misery. No, that's not what I'm saying, but you know (laughs) what I mean? Like I'm sure it was more than just uh than just being rejected from art school. It seems yeah, like he must definitely. have gone through a, a gauntlet of shit, but yeah, I've, I've personally never tried it. I mean, uh, I don't they even think I know anybody who has, what's that? They give it, they give it to kids. They give amphetamines to kids. It's, it's uh, isn't it Adderall? Is it Adderall or is it? Um... Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Something like that. It's, 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 it's either amphetamine. Yeah. I thought Adderall was like basically like legal cocaine, but it could be methamphetamine. Same thing, right? They're up. Let me see. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I mean, it's the same kind of effect. That's wild that they give that to children. Like, holy Yeah. Adderall is an amphetamine. Wow. Wow. And dextroamphetamine, whatever that is. But it's a amphetamine. The same thing as methamphetamine. It's in the same family. Mm Mm-hmm. Damn, son. It does the same (laughs) thing to your brain. Gotta just put in the right drugs, man. They're giving amphetamines to kids for their homework yeah all right all right man but don't touch the weed don't touch that marijuana that's that's (laughs) starting to change now thankfully i think it is yo i just saw a news story the other day it's like uh um watch out for the uh marijuana gummies in your halloween candy it's like nobody's giving that to kids man they're not giving away their weed gummies to kids like, Why would you want to do that? Yeah, that's uh, that's so stupid. That's like the the old like uh, urban legend of like razor blades in in the apples or whatever. Yeah. Like it's it never happened. It, it so, so it, well it it came from like the real story was it was um, I think it did happen, but it was like the kid's own stepdad that did it to him, and then that story went. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and this was like before social media and the internet, so it was like it became this like this kind of like urban legend that like, be careful. Some people do this. And it was like, no, one guy one time did it to his own fucking kid, his <laughs> yeah. step kid. Right. So it's like, you yeah. that's all it takes is one person to write a story in a, in a very, you know, and it could be well-written, yeah. but it also can be very sensationalized. Yeah. And it's easy to coerce people into ideas like that. If you just know how to write the right stuff to, you know, put your words in the right sensationalistic way that either makes somebody go, <gasps> or fear like fear yeah it's yeah. very be controlled through fear it's that like aspect of it's like a shock and yeah. you know you could say the new story could be man put, throws razor blades what was it in apples or candy yeah or something? something like that hiding it in an apple or something. yeah man throws razor blade in apple 
you know, and yeah. kids get gets gruesome injury, but the, you don't hear in the story that it was just his stepdad because he's just a weirdo. It wasn't some random guy or something. But what I'm trying to say is all it takes is one story. And there's a lot of stories on the internet, getting back to the idea of stories. Yep. There's a lot of stories that you can go down and um, dive into the rabbit holes of these stories and then enter echo chambers of these stories. And you think it's actually true because you've seen this story reiterated to you in your pocket, on your phone, day by day every single day right we all have this the certain narrative of how we think the world works and how we how we think it runs because of these people that literally write editorial pieces and stories and blog posts whatever it is anything yeah. online is just another story that we 100%. tell ourselves on how the world is um you just gotta check yourself man you yeah. know don't get sucked into those stories and you'll be all right you you can you can take the gummies you know <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, anything. I would want gummies, man. Well, yeah, but I feel like <laughs> a kid would have a bad experience on that. Yeah. You know, like you can you can have. I know lots of people, right. myself included, who have had. Yeah, right. The kid be all right. I know. I'm sure they would be in the long run, but uh, it would be a tense evening for that kid. I bet, especially yeah, depending know on the potency. On. No, it'd be like, oh my god, Halloween is the, it's real this year. There's ghosts. <laughs> you that's know? actually that's interesting. I wonder how kids react on marijuana because they probably don't know any better like that's it, probably i mean i don't know yeah definitely gotta I be don't. powerful yeah i would i i mean obviously i keep that shit away from my kids uh and yeah. keep it away from them but i also educate them on it so that there's no like chance that they're gonna like oh candy you know like because who knows right they can look through the house and they can find shit so like i'm very transparent with my kids because especially because it's legal here now in canada so it's like well you know how daddy likes to have a glass of wine sometimes? He also likes to take a toke. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's no difference. And it's like, sometimes I come and put you to bed and I've already had a toke and you don't even have a fucking clue. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm just more huggy, you know, like I'm just mm -hmm. more affectionate or whatever. Like I, I have more patience for your crazy stories, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, like I, I definitely feel like transparency and, and being uh, truthful with my kids is the way to approach that topic. But yeah, for sure. And then that way it's like, if, you know, once it gets around and they're in like high school or middle school in my one daughter's case and she gets exposed to it, she's like, it's my dad. That's what my dad's into. That's lame. You know, she's mm -hmm. not going to have any interest. She's going to be like, yeah, sometimes he smells funny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but, um, but that's crazy to me that, yeah, you know, they give people math. have, yeah, they have no issues prescribing that to their kids and, and feeding it to their kids you know methamphetamine essentially but don't touch the weed i think kids yeah. would be good on cbd like if you gave them like a little like some cbd tincture there's probably a lot of kids that could benefit from just a little bit of cbd tincture if you were for talking about being able to focus and just uh you know have some kind of attention span and being able to quiet the mind a little bit because not kids aren't going to be able to learn how to meditate you know when they're five years old most likely. So if you can just aid, you know, give them some CBD tinctures, CB, CBG, CBN for sleeping. There's all these different cannabinoids yep. of the cannabis plant that we're not utilizing. And non-psychoactive. Uh, yeah, non-psychoactive, but still have this like have a very calming effect for the, the yep. mind and body without, you know, without kind of going into your mind, you know, psychedelic wise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't necessarily want to do that when you're a little kid, but um 
they've used CBD with, with kids, haven't they? Like they were using yeah. it for kids that had like certain types of seizures and they were like mm-hmm. treating the seizures with it. So it's, it's not like you're, it's not, it's been done before and it's not uh, obviously harmful to the kids much better than taking like 25 different prescription medication for these seizures. Like I can't remember exactly what the story was. I think it was on CNN, but this one little girl was like taking all of these fucking drugs. And then it was like, Oh, just weed, <laughs> just mm-hmm. weed replaced all of those drugs and did better than those drugs. Cause those drugs weren't even working properly for her, you know? Yeah. It's a medicine, man. I'm going to actually bring up a video of that. Of, yeah, um, Hit that. It's a, there's a, I mean, we've probably all seen this if we're, you know, if we all know marijuana, but it's a guy with Parkinson's and they give him um, CBD or some kind of Rick Simpson oil, maybe or something like that. There's a, there's a few of those out there. There's one guy who had like a lot of shakes and couldn't speak properly. And then like a couple bong hits later, he was like, well, this is oh, how yeah, I am is. now. I <laughs> yep. like, I'm all right. So we're going to play this one. Yeah. It's it, some, there's some um, disorders where it's like a miracle. You know, if I had, hold on, let me just share this. If I had Parkinson's or, you know, if I had seizures, I would think cannabis was the greatest thing of all time. Imagine it just being, all you got to do is just, um, you know, you swallow, you take a puff or you, you take some uh, a gummy or a tincture and it, at the worst thing in your life that has ever happened, you know, you having a seizure or you not being able to stop shaking, it automatically just makes it stop. I would think cannabis is the greatest thing of all time. Yeah. <laughs> and it is. It's a medicine. Hi, Larry. How are you? Come in. Come in. Good to see you. How you feeling? It's been a bit of a rough week. Really? And the best it's about to get better, brother. On mm-hmm. your tongue and rub it in your cheek. Don't do too much. You're gonna to be asleep all all afternoon. <laughs> you know what you should do? No. Don't try to communicate. Just relax. See what happens. We know from animal experiments that the endogenous cannabinoid system is very important in regulating motor activity. That very type of activity that is impaired in Parkinson's Damn. disease. From animal experiments, we also know that boosting Damn. certain branches of the endocannabinoid system Two is minutes. helpful in relieving symptoms of Parkinson's. Finally, from anecdotal information, we know that certain patients who smoke marijuana experience relief of their symptoms. I think you're calmed down. So quickly. Isn't that amazing? Holy fuck. You use just a single drop and his hands afterwards were rock steady and the dyskinesia left. Mm-hmm. It was wow. It works most of the time. Wow. What more do you want? <laughs> that right there, ladies and gentlemen. Did you guys wow. lunch? Are you hungry now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am. Actually, I first like me could really use marijuana. It makes, makes me pretty angry that I can't get in my home state. The number one frustration that I have is knowing that there is this untapped potential that comes from what marijuana is, te- is teaching us. Marijuana. To generate new medicines and being stuck because of 
financial issues or political issues, that is extremely frustrating. We now know that medical marijuana um, controls dyskinesia, um, and yet it's not, it's not available to us. Wow. It's not available. Well, it might be from when this video was filmed, but it's... Wow. As we're speaking, as we're making this, man, that medicine is a Schedule 1 substance. I'm pretty sure it's still, either way, I don't know what the scheduling is. It's still a very illegal substance in the United States of America, federally. federally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. It's That's crazy, still man. crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was crazy. It's been crazy for a while. It's not like it's this is a new thing, but that it's still illegal after all this time and after it's all this research bro, we, that's coming out, you know? Yeah. We, we, we and you live in places where it's legal. So it's kind of like, don't think twice about it. There's still yeah. places in the same country that I live in that you can go to jail for a long time if you get caught with some weed, man. And it's a travesty, man, because it makes it so, I mean, we're obviously getting past it. You know, we're past the, you know, it's going to become legal eventually, but we're still, it's a very unique time right now that we're living in where it's like a transitionary period between it being, um, you know, the devil's lettuce and now coming into being incorporated as a legit medicine into our society. And we're still at the in-between stages, you know? And I think it might be a little deliberate because it might be a little too good of a medicine in some aspects. hundred percent. Well, yeah. Some people can't make that money that they were getting from, um, you know, all these other drugs that were probably given to this guy for seizures in the past, you know, maybe they worked, but I mean, how much more do you need than just some of that oil? And he, he was chilling. He was just hungry. That was know? wild. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen all kinds of videos like that before, but it never ceases to amaze me. I mean, that one was like, Jesus, <laughs> like three minutes, three to yeah. five minutes. And he was, he was good. Yeah. He went from being like tied up, like in a knot to like completely relaxed. And you can just see it happen. It's so crazy, but yeah. Yeah. And by the way, I like what we did this time with videos, like, Mm -hmm. I, I like doing it that way. So we should definitely stick to that mode and, yeah. uh, and, and like in between these episodes, you know, we can gather videos that we want to maybe throw up on the screen or whatever, but I agree, uh, yeah. dude. I think it's a good formula. Yep. Agreed. Agreed, man. So what do you got planned for the rest of the day? Um, it's a good question. I'm probably going to eat after this. I think, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go get some sushi and nice. then, uh, I don't know, just meditate, maybe go for a walk and we'll see. I don't know. I like to meditate after these sometimes to just kind of just let it soak, you know, soak in the energy that we cultivated yeah. for ourselves. This is like a yoga. I see this as just like a, a, a yoga of the mind session. And sometimes I like to just go, you know, Shavasana, like the last pose in yoga. Sometimes I like to take my own Shavasana after these, yeah. um, these interactions and just, just soak it in you know, digest it, meditate on it. And um, yeah, just feel how it feels to have these things. I, Cause I like to um, notice the before and afters of when I do my yoga practices. And I like to do um, the before and afters of these conversations too. And it's like, it's a, it's a thing to be able to witness that literal change of, um, I don't know, everything. I just feel good from doing this, you know, like it feels like I'm exercising some kind of mental muscle. And I just like to sit with that for a little bit and integrate that. And uh, yeah, nice. I don't know. So yeah, probably go for a walk, <laughs> get some sun. What about you? Yeah, I'm, well, I've got some meditation to do today for sure. And 
uh, we got a kid's birthday party tonight, so we'll have some nice. people over and, uh, the downstairs is for the boys. We'll watch some UFC, some, <laughs> some mixed martial arts, but, uh, yeah. And it's sober October for me. So, uh, you know, I'm trying to, uh, not trying to I'm abstaining from alcohol. Uh, and instead of just abstaining from alcohol this month, uh, my wife and I decided we're going to meditate every day. That's one of our goals. So, uh, yeah, get that, get that, uh, over with after this. I think that's a great idea to do it after mm -hmm. this conversation and just kind of reflect on what we discussed and the whole experience. Yeah. I see if you can abstain from marijuana, alcohol, and sex go one month, without any of that, like nothing. You, become, you go into monk mode and see no how you feel. <laughs> that's, that's tough. <laughs> no thanks, I'm good. Cannabis is, cannabis is a medicine, so it doesn't count. And, uh, and sex is like, well, come on, brother. That's the essence of life, you know? It's a is sacred it really? experience, man. It's the unitive experience. It's as close as you can get to physical union with another human being, you know, mm -hmm. as, as anything. So, you know, my wife and I are in spiritual and mental uh, union all the time, but uh, yeah, I'm not going to miss out on uh Hump day, and come, hump, hump day and come day as we call them <laughs> <laughs> damn yeah man i think there's something special about being able to uh um dive into the sexual experience because a lot of belief systems like to shut that off of the human experience but i think they're kind of missing the point a little bit yeah. like it doesn't mean you have to be having sex every day or you know masturbating every day but just being able to have a relationship a relationship with your own uh, sexual drive and the energy that it produces for your being and to be able to not be a slave to it also, yeah. I think that's is the key. That's yeah. the key for sure. And I think that's what the, the whole like essence of the like no fap <laughs> movement, mm -hmm. right. Where it's like for a lot of guys, it's like a daily occurrence. You know, I remember yeah. as a young man, spanking it often, um, <laughs> you know, it was again, very, very common. Like, but as you start to get older, it's like, dude, like, okay, you're not a boy anymore. And like, especially if you're in my case, married with, with a, a willing sexual partner who you're attracted to, like, I, I'm pretty mm -hmm. blessed. I have to admit, because like my wife and I have been together for a long time and we're still very much into each other to the point where our kids are like, get a room. Like you guys stop, <laughs> you know, like we hug, we kiss, we're affectionate and we still like, uh, we still like to do it. So uh, for <laughs> me, it's like masturbation has no place because, I, why would I, why would I waste my sexual energies in a Kleenex when I have mm -hmm. this beautiful life partner that uh, also does it for me, <laughs> you know, and I do yeah. it for her. So it's like, that becomes a sacred thing in itself for us. Um, but again, I'm not here to judge. Like if, you know, I think the, the, with, with the spiritual path, I think if you're like a promiscuous person and you're having sex, like that's meaningless that to me, I feel like uh, it's probably not conducive to the spiritual path. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, maybe that's a person's yoga, you know, maybe mm -hmm. they're like, ah, yes, this is when I feel, you know, tapped in is when I'm going around and sleeping with all these people. Like I'm not here to judge that, but mm -hmm. it seems like that would be a hindrance in a way. And same with like, you know, jerking it every day. It's like, you got to have some discipline and be able to be in charge of yourself a bit more, you know? Amen. Be in charge of yourself <laughs> a little bit right like the, the like you have an animal self like and that yep. those sexual desires are very much rooted in the animal right i mean that's procreation it's very basic instinctual stuff 
it's not to say that you should suppress it or that it's wrong, but it's like, does the animal run the show or do you run the show? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And exactly. sometimes you got to say, no, stop humping the leg animal. Like it's not time, <laughs> you know? And, and it's like, you're married, like the focus on the shit. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. Cause the animal just doesn't think that way. It just fucking is hungry and it wants it and yeah. it wants it and it wants it. It never stops. Right. So it's the, yeah. It's the animal mind that always wants, man. Yeah. Be able to tackle that. Be able to control the animal. Yeah. Tame it a little bit, right? Make it your pet or something. So it's not running the show. (laughs) That's what it is, man. Yeah. That's the whole process. That's the path. Yeah. Well, we are animals, right? So it's, Mm -hmm. uh, it's like the analogy of the, the rider and the elephant, right? Like the rider, your control over that elephant is very tenuous. <laughs> you know, like that elephant can do whatever it wants. It's huge. It's got way more strength than you. And you're just like trying to, <laughs> trying yeah. to steer it in the right direction. But yeah. Damn. Anywho. Yeah. On that note, I think we can probably wrap this thing up. It's a good talk, man. Yeah. Always brother. Always. I love chatting with you, man. I look forward to it every month. So, and with the videos and stuff now, I think that's even better. I love that yeah. format. Yeah, we got a good formula going. I like this this talk. I can see us doing this uh, for a long time. Just just having some fun, man. I'm <laughs> glad you feel that way. Yeah, and, and <laughs> somehow we don't ever run out of things to talk about. It's very strange. Like even now, it's like if I didn't have to go and hang out with my kids and stuff, I'm sure we could just keep shooting the shit. So yeah, man, we got uh, we got we're in sync, and uh, hopefully the audience was in sync. If anybody listened this long, but yeah. Yeah. Well, you seem to be getting good, like, uh, you know, 40, 50 views or, and stuff like on these types of videos. And the fact that 50 people are sitting through this entire conversation is like, first of well, all, thank you, because yeah, it's like if they awesome. Are. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's it's obviously interesting to some people. <laughs> yeah, to, to me, it's interesting to me. That's yeah. all that matters. Same here. <laughs> yeah, it's at least two people for sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Well, uh, yeah, have a good rest of your day. And uh Hope all is well until we speak again. Yeah, you as well, brother. Stay in touch and uh, we'll talk next month. Namaste. Peace out. Peace.